Well, today we're going to continue on this series in 1 Thessalonians. In fact, is we just have a couple of more weeks. This will be the last time in this series that we talk about the second coming of Christ. And I know I've received a lot of emails from you guys about, could we extend this? Could we go out farther? We need to understand more about that. And I totally get that. fact is, that's the same thing that happened to the church there in Thessalonica. That, that, that um, Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. He answered some of their questions about the second coming. Their, their most obvious question was this. Is it, is it what happens to our loved ones that have preceded us in death when the rapture happens? And so Paul answered that specific question. And have you, have you ever asked someone a question and, and they answered that and then all of a sudden you had more questions? Well, that's the same way with the church at, there at Thessalonica. And so they had other questions about the tribulation, the rapture, and, and all of that stuff. And so Paul wrote the book of Second Thessalonians answering those questions. So here's what we'll do. We'll finish this series in a, in, a, in a couple of weeks. We'll start a brand new series called Just Wondering, and we'll talk about some, some, some things through there, some top questions that I've been asked, and we'll talk about is the Bible real, is it authentic, uh, who is Jesus, do all roads lead to heaven, is, um, all of those types of things. And then at a later date, we'll come back and we'll walk together through uh, the book of Second Thessalonians, and we'll talk about this stuff in greater detail. Now this morning... Paul is writing again to the church in Thessalonica, and we know a couple of things. We know that Jesus is coming back. Okay, so we understand that. In fact is, there is not one prophecy in Scripture, there's not one prophetic verse that speaks of the second coming of Jesus Christ that hasn't already been fulfilled. There is nothing preventing Jesus Christ from returning other than one thing, waiting for the last person to accept Christ. Waiting till every nation knows. It could happen tonight. It could happen today. It could happen before we finish our time together here this morning. Scripture says that it's going to happen in an instant. It's going to happen when nobody's expecting it. Now, when you look at this, you find that the Scriptures... fact is, in the New Testament, I think it's one in third verses, one in every three, one in every three verses uh, that talks about the second coming of Christ. And so we know it's going to happen. We know God has an agenda. This should not give you fear. If you are a believer in Christ, this should not give you fear. This should not give you anxiety. For those of you that play cards, I mean, you know what it's like, right, when you're playing cards and, and all of a sudden you're dealt that strong hand. I mean, you're dealt that hand that you know nobody can stop you. You can just run the table. And so you don't have anxiety. You don't have fear about playing out that hand. Fact is, you've got anticipation. You've got great excitement. You cannot wait to play out the hand because you know you win. The same is true when we start looking at end times theology. We know the hand we've been given. And we don't have anxiety about it. We understand that. So Paul is writing 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Here's what he says one last time. I know I've read this group of scriptures for the last couple of weeks, and, and we'll look at it just a little bit deeper. But today we're going to spend most of our time in the book of Revelation, and we're going to look at this tribulation period. So here we go. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may grieve, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by, the, by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, command with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then... We who are alive, who are left, 
will be caught up together with them. There's the concept of the rapture, the violent snatching away of those who are believers. And we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, here's one of my favorite parts. And so, we will always, we will always be with him. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, Jesus talked about the second coming. Luke chapter 21, Matthew chapter 24. And he began helping the disciples understand what this looked like and what, the, what was going to take place. And so we've talked about the rapture. We've talked about when Jesus comes back for, for the church and that there's going to be this seven-year tribulation period. And so my focus this morning is going to be on the tribulation period. We're going to look at Satan's agenda for that seven-year period, and then we're going to look at God's perspective in that seven-year period, and I'm going to focus in on the seven-year period so that we just understand some things that are going on that I think are really important for us to grasp in our time together. Now, last week I gave you an outline of the book of Revelation. Let me carry it a little bit further. fact is, we'll just kind of walk all the way through the book of Revelation real quickly. Revelation chapter 1, Jesus is Lord. He is conqueror. He is mighty. He is strong. Then chapters three, 2 through 3, Jesus begins talking in the book of Revelation to the local church. Nineteen times you see the word uh, church in, the, in chapters, two through, or chapters 1 through 3. And then chapter 4 you get, and our Lord says, John, come up here. It's the picture of the rapture. It's the picture of the pulling away. And even though the scripture says that the church was referenced 19 times in the first three chapters, you no, no longer see it mentioned in scripture until chapter 22, the new heaven and the new earth. So chapters 4 through 19, when you look at the book of Revelation, is the unfolding of, of human history. And you understand and you get that God has an agenda and God has a, has a plan that in this period that the, the Antichrist will, will rise up. There will be this vacuum, this vacuum of leadership because there will be global problems, whether it's economically, uh, whether it's issues of, of safety, whether it's issue of, of, of peace. And, and this Antichrist will rise up in the, victim, fact, in, in the absence or in the vacuum. In fact is, the world is already looking, Right? We are already looking for someone with the answers. I mean, our world in Scripture says that you cannot know the times, but you can know the seasons. You can know like the turning of the leaves when the seasons are changing. And Scripture says, so it is on that day in the second coming. And we live in a time where the global problems are so large, not only in the U.S., but we have people all over the world looking for someone with the answers, and someone that can rise up and help us. And so chapters 4 through 19 explains that. And then in chapter 20 through 23, it's the millennium reign of Jesus Christ, and it's the new heaven and this new earth, and it's, it's God showing us what it could have been, what the world could have been like if, if he was in charge and, and if, if the fall of man didn't happen and all of those other things. And so I want to give you, watch this, in, in, in Revelation chapter 13, Here's Satan's agenda. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship in the image of the beast to be slain. Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on, here we go, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. 
So that, okay, so here we come, one world currency, which we're headed towards. Verse 17, so that no one can buy and sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast, the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. We're going to unpack that. You're going to understand before you leave today. What is up with that, the number of the beast, the 666? And he says, and so the number is 666. And so now we could look at the tribulation from God's perspective, uh, Revelation chapter 14, verse 9. And so here we go. And so, and another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast, that's a key word, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with, with sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night. Watch this. These worshipers of the beast. Tell you something. God takes very serious your worship. God takes very serious what you give your worship to and what you refuse to worship. Your worship, the manner in which you worship, is critical to God. And God takes it very serious who you worship, how you worship, the posture in which you worship. Your worship, my worship, is critical to Him. And I just want us to get that. The singing, because it's all worship, start to finish. Whether it's preaching, whether it's worship and singing. Let me tell you something. The singing is not the fluff before the stuff. It is not just to get you guys in here so you can take your seat so I can come up. No. Worship is everything. And we got to get that. we got to understand that. You see in Revelation that God's really upset and concerned about what they're going to give their worship to and that they're going to give their worship to the beast. And I would encourage you to worship him in spirit and in truth. And he goes on and he And he says this. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image. And whoever receives the mark of its name. It was more than a mark. It's more than a mark. But what happens if you don't take the mark in that period? Revelation chapter 24. Then I saw thrones. And seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and the word of God. And those who had not worshipped. Your worship is critical. Had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads and on their hands. They came to life. They reigned with Christ for a thousand years, the millennial reign. 
My focus this morning is not to give you a lot of information in that seven-year period. It's not to give you a lot of information about the rapture. My focus this morning is to talk to you very honestly in a very transparent way. fact is, after two services, I've had a lot of people ask me, is it, are you going to put this stuff on the radio? And the answer is yes. And I'm going to talk to you in a very honest and transparent way about this seven-year period about where's the church. The true church, the true believers are with him. They're in heaven. My concern my burden of ministry is for the lost and for those that just have this comfort in religious stuff but have no real relationship with him my burden is for those that may be left behind I totally get I totally understand whether it's this church or any church in America that not everybody is a believer I am not the judge I'm not the one that judges whether you're saved, whether you're not saved, whether you have a relationship, whether you have or not a relationship with him. But I will tell you this. Jesus told over and over and over in the scriptures there will be some expecting to be saved, and they will not be. The parables of the ten virgins. Remember that parable? Uh, uh, Five virgins had oil in their lamps, and five virgins didn't have oil in their lamps. It was the picture. Well, the oil is the picture of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And it was a picture of this, that some that profess to know God do not know him. Jesus was clear with a parable that he said that there will be a day, there will be that day when people will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not perform miracles in your name? In other words, didn't we hold church in your name? And Jesus way, depart from me. I never knew you. Jesus tells parables of the wheat and the tares and, and, and they grow up together and you cannot really tell them apart until the harvest or until the last days. The sheep and the goats, all through Scripture. And I'm telling you this morning, I'm going to talk to you about where is the church, but yes, this will also be a survival guide for someone who is left behind or lives through the tribulation period because they don't know him. I'll give you five things. Okay, so when the rapture happens, if you're left behind, do not try to explain it away. There will be people that will try to explain this away, whether they're experts, whether they're scientists, uh, whether they're religious people, whether they're political people, whether it's, 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 it's an economic thing. There will be people that will try to explain it away, that it's a conspiracy or whatever. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 36. He says, but concerning that day, the second coming, the rapture, that day, an hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah... So will, people coming, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as, as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they are unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So we will be with the coming of the Son of Man. Then here we go, verse 40. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken away 
and one will be left. Listen, remember I've told you we don't just kind of quickly or slowly float up and everybody gets to witness it. It's like instant. It's like two men are working together and one man looks around for Joe and Joe's not there. He said two men will be working and one will be taken and one will be left. He says two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. If you are left behind, do not explain it away. There will be people that will try to explain it. The fact is, for a number of years, some, some scientists have been talking about a Jupiter effect. That the day could come when, when Jupiter aligns with some other uh, planets and some other things in our solar system. It changes the magnetic, magnetic field of planet Earth and people disappear. I mean, people have already been trying to, to, to explain what might happen. The, the end of the world has a lot of, of press right now, right? I mean, the Mayans calendar is getting a lot of press because the Mayans calendar ends, what, December the 21st, 2012. That's not far off, right? Now listen, I don't believe God would give the Mayans the date when the end of the world is coming. Here's what I believe. They ran out of rocks. I mean, (laughs) they didn't have any more rocks just to pile up. And so, man, don't let that kind of stuff freak you out and, and get you all unsettled. Why? Because we know the hand that's been dealt us. We know how it plays out. There will be people, whether it's politicians or whoever, try to explain this away. Man, don't do that. Second thing is this. If you're left behind, don't look for any Christians. I didn't say don't look for the church. The true church is gone. The true, true church is with him. But I hate to tell you, the church will roll on in America. Because Scripture says there's false prophets. Scripture says that as we come closer and closer to that time, there will be more and more cults. There will be more and more false prophets. And Listen, there are pastors every weekend that stand up in pulpits and speak to people and profess to know him, and they don't know him. They don't even believe the Bible is true. They don't even believe that the Bible is an errant word of God. That they just kind of wonder about it and worry, wonder about its authenticity. We have people that stand up in pulpits that no longer believe the deity of Christ, no longer believe in the Spirit. And I'm telling you, the church will roll on. Why? Because they've been doing church without God for so long, they won't even know it when the Holy Spirit's removed. And there's cults. And there's false prophets. And there's people that come to your door and knock on your door, and they don't know the same Jesus you profess to know. They don't believe in his deity, they don't believe he's co equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Here a while back, we um, many years ago, we, we, we reached a family out of one of those cults, and they were just misled. And they're not supposed to, but they gave me the manual that they use. 
And their strategy is this, that when they come to your house and they knock on your door, the first thing they want to find out is your spiritual background. And then when you tell them Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Assemblies of God, Presbyterian, Church of Christ, whatever, do you realize they have a group of scriptures that have memorized and their spill changes depend on the denomination that you came out of, your spiritual background, because they know your theology better than you in most cases? They are trained to deceive. That's what Scripture says. The Scripture says there'll be false prophets. The Scripture says there'll be people that profess to know God and they don't. In this period, in this seven-year period, I'm telling you, do not look for any Christians. The church will roll on. Third thing is this, that if you're left behind, whatever you do, do not take the mark of the beast. Whatever you do, I mean, Scripture, I read them. Revelation 13, Revelation 14, Revelation chapter 20. uh, Gave us great warning that during that seven-year period, do not, do not, do not take the mark of the beast. Because it's more than just taking a mark. It's, It's worship. Okay, so... First century Christians, here's just a little bit of church history. First century Christians were martyred for their faith, right? And just as it was in the first century, will be in the last century. So Christians were martyred for their faith. They were not martyred for being Christians. They didn't care if they were Christians or not. Here's what they were martyred for. Their worship. They wouldn't bow down and worship Caesar as Lord. Your worship... My worship, the things that we give our worship to, means everything to God. And so taking a mark wasn't just taking a mark, a chip under the, or a number, and we'll talk about that under the the right hand or, or the forehead. It was bowing down and worshiping the Antichrist. I called and talked to a friend that uh, been preaching. He's in his late 80s, and it seems like he's been preaching for hundreds of years. And so, uh, so he's a mentor to me. So I called him, and I says, let me ask you, when, what was it like preaching this text in the 60s, the 70s? What was it like? And he says, you know what, Charlie? He says, uh, you know the greatest difficult, the greatest barrier I felt is trying to convince people in America there's a superpower financially strong, a great constitution, a great way of doing government and, and, and doing life, the greatest country to be a citizen of and a part of, and trying to convince them that the day will come when America will be in great stress. Not only America, but all countries. Trying to convince them about this thought and this issue of one world government We know there's going to be one world government because Revelation says that the Antichrist will have all authority. It's one world government. Who would ever thought that we would live in America when the UN has so much say what goes on in America? Do you realize this last weekend that the UN is pushing through a bill right now uh, to uh, um, gun control, licensee, and ban? to where you're going to have to, if it passes, register your firearms uh, through the UN. 
And if you do not, if you are convicted of that, you would be convicted by the UN. Who would have ever thought we're living in America when the UN has so much say and influence? One world currency. We got financial institutions right now in Germany and some other places that are developing funds and building funds to make this transfer happen. This isn't far from the imagination, whether they take a chip uh, and, and put it under the right hand or on the forehead. The, I mean, we, we deal with less and less cash. We deal with less and less checks. Most of us have bank cards. Most of us have credit cards. We may have multiple credit cards. Doesn't it seem logical to you that in this economic time that an antichrist in the rapture could raise up and say, you know what, I can solve this identity theft. I can solve what all is going on if you will just put a chip and when you go through the grocery store, when you purchase something, you just let us scan it. They're doing it with pets right now, right? You can get Rover. You can have Rover put a, pet, uh, uh, a chip in him and if Rover gets lost, they scan your dog and they can return it to your house. The technology is, is here. You know what's interesting about this? Just talking, because it's so much fun. When a person disappears, it's just interesting to me, it takes seven years for the government or loved ones to claim their possessions when they disappear. Nobody gets to spend our stuff in the tribulation. Seven-year tribulation. God has an agenda. God has a plan. And if you're left behind, whatever you do, do not take the mark of the beast. So what is the mark of the beast? Okay, so we know, we read, it's six is the number of man. That's what Revelation said. That's what I read to you in Revelation 13. So six is the number of man. Why three sixes? Why not just one six? Why three sixes? Why six, six, six? Because of this. Three, I'll get it right, three is a number for deity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's a number for deity. You know what that is? You know what 666 is? It's the deification of man. It's the lifting man up as a supreme authority in the lowering of God. The Bible tells us is that in times comes, is the day that Jesus comes back, comes closer and closer, we'll have this move culturally of a deification of man. So man sees himself as a supreme authority. We see it happening right now, right? Nobody can tell me what sin is. Nobody can tell me what truth is. Truth is relative. Truth is this. I decide what's true for me. You can decide what's true for you, but I decide what's true for me. I decide whether the Bible's true or not. I decide whether it's authentic or not. I mean, we love those verses that we read that talks about God's love and God's forgiveness and, and spending an eternal life with him. We love that stuff. But then we come across those verses that make us uncomfortable. We come across those verses that convict us of our sin and we push back. Say, I'll decide what's right. I'll decide what's wrong. We see that in our culture. Right now, this, this lifting up of man. It was like that CNN poll that I referenced last week that we talked about that they gave God an approval rating. He got a 52% approval rating in the U.S. 
that we believe, you know what? We believe I stand judge over God. God does not stand over me. God is not my authority. We can fix this. We can solve this. Whatever you do, do not take the mark of the beast. Fourth thing is this. Don't expect to escape a martyr's death. Don't expect to escape a martyr's death. Now, now Scripture talks to, it alludes to in Revelation chapter 13, that, that there will be those that are saved in the rapture period, in the seven-year period. I mean, that's pretty clear. I mean, um, talks about the saints, talks about some other things. And so the world is going to begin looking for someone to lead. Oh, and by the way, there's not going to be just one world government. The Antichrist will lead that. There's not going to be one world currency. There'll be one world religion. Because we just can't all get along. And so they're going to have to solve that, that issue. When you see that they're asking them to worship the beast, that is a religion. And they're going to have to come up with this issue about what is this one world re- religion and what does it look like. We know that our world is turning more and more against Christians every day, right? I mean, it happened last week. It's in uh, the Air Force. In fact, it's all of our armed services have used Augustine's writings from just war theory to help them with the, the moral complications, the moral issues of war and, and all of these other things. And so uh, they've used it for hundreds of years. For the last 20 years, in Vandenberg Air Force Base in California, uh, where they train the men and women that launch missiles, they have been, the chaplains have been teaching there uh, Augustine's just war theory, using scriptures from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there's a group this last week that rose up, and um, as a result, it is no longer allowed. And they said that that's just another attempt of right-wing Christian fundamentalist. See, they're going to take and they're going to lump all Christians into this hate-spewing group of people. And they're going to turn a world and say this would be a better place without these Christians, without these believers. See, they, they said that we now have evolved to the point that we live in a pluralistic society. And that's outdated teaching. The Bible says and talks about a one world religion. I think Revelation gives great indication into which religion that is. And I'm going to tell you. Because that's, you know what? I don't want any of you guessing where I stand. And I think you should expect that. So let's, let's do this. Let's see if we can't figure it out together. So the Bible tells us that anybody that refuses to worship the beast and take the mark will be beheaded. Can we think together of a world religion two billion strong that allows for, teaches beheading? Islam. Islam already allows for it. Surah chapter 47 out of the Quran says that anyone 
an infidel, but anyone that will not come under their authority. It was permissible and just to behead them. We're going to have one world government, have one world, one world currency, and we're going to have one world religion. The last thing is this, that if by chance, if you're left behind, don't bet your life on a second chance. I've had friends in, in Texas, and I've had friends that I've witnessed to, and I've had people that I've witnessed to, that will say things like, well, you know what, right before my death, I'll accept him. I've heard, heard some people say, well, you know what, if this rapture stuff is really true and, and I notice that all the Christians disappear and there's anarchy and there's, there's problems and all this stuff of people disappearing, I will, you know what, I would accept him in the tribulation period. Seriously? Seriously, someone's really going to tell me that? Someone's really going to tell you that? When you cannot accept him now? With a room full of people that are praying for you? With a room full of people that are encouraging you? you and you cannot accept him now? And seriously, you're going to say, well, you know what? In the rapture, when I realize this is true, I'll accept him then. Seriously, are you going to accept him? When they tell you, the line starts here. If you want to accept him, if you refuse to worship the Antichrist, line up here because we're cutting your head off. You can't accept him now when times are good and people are encouraging you. And you say you're going to be able to accept him then. You accept him now. All we're going to do is dunk you in some water. We're not even going to cut your head off. <laughs> and, you got, and we're going to clap for you. And we're going to encourage you. And we're going to get you in a life group. And we're going to open up the word to you so that you learn and you understand. Are you seriously going to tell me? This is my burden. Are you seriously going to tell me? I'll accept him in the rapture. I don't even know that you'll get a second chance. There's not one account in Scripture that someone got a second chance to accept Christ. Jesus didn't like hunting people down when they, when they denied him or they didn't accept him. He just moved on. There's not one example in Scripture of someone getting a second chance. Yes, so then you, you bring up the issue about the 144,000. Who are the 144,000? Well, Revelations tells us who they are. They're, they're virgin Jews that realized they missed the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah. It's 12,000 Jews from each tribe. And then all of a sudden what happens is, is there's this revival in Jerusalem for the Jews. Don't bet your life on a second chance. He wants you to accept him now when his Holy Spirit is present, because you get this right, when, when the rapture happens, the church is pulled out, the, 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 the believers uh, possess and steward the Holy Spirit, and you no longer have that influence. In fact, as 1 Thessalonians tells us, it is what is restraining the Antichrist right now, 
is the presence of the Holy Spirit through the believers. It's the restrainer. And when we are pulled out, it is full-blown. There is no restraining. You're going to tell me when you cannot trust him now with your income, with your resources, with your time, with your life, and in the tribulation period, something's going to snap. Don't bet your life on a second chance. Some of you this morning, you need to accept him. You need to quit playing religious games. And you need to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ that just does not change your hour on Sundays but changes your life. And you learn to trust Him with your life and your resources and who you are. Some of you this morning, whether you're in this room, we've got a group of people in overflow uh, there in the Welcome Center, and to that group too. Some of you need to accept Him. Some of you this morning, you may need to rededicate your life to Him and just tell Him, God, man, I have drifted so far away. And I need you. We are living in perilous times. And you better know what you believe and why you believe it. Some of you, you may need to go talk to some people about our relationship with him. God wants you to accept him now. And you live your life for him you bow your heads and close your eyes let me ask you what is God saying to you this morning fact is what what response does God want you to make as a result of this message and as you just sit before him would you just look at your life if you need to accept him today is the day Do you ask him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life? This is the day when you have a church that people have been praying for you. People are praying for you right now. If you've never accepted him, would you give him your life today? Maybe some of you need to follow him in believer's baptism like we've had 12 do this weekend just as an obedience, just following him. Some of you may need to rededicate your life. God, I'm trusting you with my resources. I'm trusting you with my time. I am trusting you with my life. I don't want there to be any doubt.